So good morning again, everybody. Um, Today is New Year's Day, right? And so we begin an entirely uh, new year. And as a community of faith, um, we are doing something together this year that we have never actually done before. Um, We're going to read through the entire uh, Bible together. Now, um, if you've been coming to New Denver anytime over the last month and a half, you have probably heard about this, and a bunch of you have signed up to do this um, along with us. Um, if you're planning on doing this, but you have not signed up yet, uh, would you do us a favor and please sign up? There's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, the first is to use an app. It's called the Church Center app, and um, it's an app you have on your phone, and uh, we use this app for a ton of things here. Um, you can just go to the app store and download it from there, and uh, we uh, use it to sign up people for events, for groups. When we have discipleship groups that happen, you can sign up for groups there. Um, and so it's super helpful. So when you download the app and use it um, there on the right side, you'll see that's sort of the homepage. There's a, the first big green button there. You'll just click that, and that'll sign you up for the Reading the Bible 2023 group. Also, just a quick tip. Up there on the right, you'll see your little profile. You can click on that, and that'll tell you any groups you're signed up for. If you're a volunteer at New Denver, that'll tell you your schedule when you're signed up to uh, volunteer here. If you give financially to our church, it'll tell you your donation history and you can give. There's all sorts of great things um, that you can use this app for. So um, we encourage everybody to use this. Um, If you want to sign up, but you don't really want to use the app, uh, the second way is you can just go to that link up there on the screen and I'll take you to a spot online where you can sign up to be a part of this group. Um, by the way, this is not an actual like group that's going to meet together uh, physically. Um, when you sign up, you're basically, it's just a formal way of you saying, yes, I'm in, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try to read through the Bible this year um, with everybody else. And it's kind of like an email list for us. It's a way that we can communicate with you and um, give you heads up and encouragement along the way. Now, Maybe you're visiting today. Maybe this is the first time you're coming to New Denver and the first time you're hearing about this. Um, I actually preached a sermon about this uh, six weeks ago, and I said why we're going to try to do this uh, here at our church this year, um, why it's a good thing for everyone to do, why everybody should participate, why probably 95% of us don't have a great reason for for not participating. And so um, one more link there uh, at the bottom. If you have any questions about this or you want to listen to that message because you weren't here, just go to newdenver.org slash Bible. Um, 2023. Everything you need is there. There's a link to that sermon. There's a link to a whole bunch of other messages. There's an FAQ section. Um, You might be thinking, what translation do I use? Or what Bible do I use? Or can I listen to it on audio? Like all of those questions are answered there. And then of course, um, there's a link there to the plan that we are going to use, the reading plan. And we actually have uh, paper copies of that today. So on your way out, if you want to grab one of those, you can. Um, it's all on this uh, sheet of paper. That'll tell you um, we're going to be reading five days a week. So you get weekends off or weekends to catch up if you get behind. Um, and this is uh, this will sort of tell you the order that we're going to read everything in. We're mainly going to read the Bible sort of in, uh, in the order that it's presented a few times every now and then. We're going to jump out of order. Um, and we'll tell you why we're doing that as we uh, go along and do that. But I encourage you to have one of these printed copies. I think that's the best way. Um, to follow along. All right. Uh, Okay. So that's enough of that kind of intro stuff. I want to shift gears because today I want to introduce you to the first five books of the Bible, because that's what we're going to be reading together. If you're doing this over the next eight weeks, Genesis, Exodus, 
Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you've gone to church most of your life, you're familiar with these books. You've heard them. Um, but maybe you've never actually fully read all five of them in order. Because if you have, you know uh, that they can get a bit tedious. And they can get a bit long in some spots. And yet, they are so foundational to so many things. And so today, I want to just share with you a few things for how to navigate these five books, for how to read them and understand them better. So first, um, let's start with some names. Um, these first five books are often called uh, the Pentateuch, the Torah, uh, the Law of Moses, or the Books of Moses. Uh, the word Pentateuch is just a fancy word. Um, it's a Greek word that literally means five books. So it's a word that scholars use oftentimes, and so you'll hear me use it from time to time, um, but just don't be freaked out by it. Pentateuch just means, the, it's just the name of the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Jews often call this the Torah. You've probably heard that term before. Uh, Torah, uh, translated in English, um, means either law, that's the most common translation, um, or really it means something broader like teaching or instruction. And so in Jewish history, these first five books of the Old Testament were considered the foundational teachings or instructions for the people of Israel. Yes, they do contain some laws and some commandments, the most important and most well-known, or right, the, the Ten Commandments. I almost said the Twenty Commandments. That would be rough, right? Uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, but they also, these five books also contain a whole bunch of stories, and narratives. Uh, so it's better to think of these five books as the teaching or instruction um, given to Israel. Now, finally, sometimes these five books are called the Law of Moses, again, based on that word Torah, or the Books of Moses. And that's because Moses is traditionally thought of as the primary author of these five books. But let me explain that to you. And in order to explain that, I need to just give you some background and context into when these books were actually written and how they were written. And so um, I want you to try to just forget everything you know about the Bible for a second. All right. And let me just tell you a story, because understanding the story um, helps us understand why these books were written and why they're so important. So sometime in the 13th century BC. And there are debates about exactly when. Maybe it was the 15th, maybe it was the 13th. I won't go into all that. So for, just, for simplicity's sake today, let's just go with the 13th century. So 3,300 years ago, there was an ethnic group of people known as the Hebrews. And they lived within the kingdom of Egypt. And in fact, they were oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. One of their leaders, a man named Moshe, whom we call Moses in English, led a rebellion and helped the Hebrew, Hebrew people to leave their oppression in Egypt. Now, they believed at the time wholeheartedly that the only reason they were able to break free from this oppression was because of their powerful God. His name was Yahweh. He was the God that their ancestors had worshipped, and he had heard their cries of oppression, and he had decided to step in and help rescue them from slavery. Now, after these Hebrews left Egypt, they went east and they camped in the wilderness or the desert called Sinai for many months. Those months turned into years and eventually 40 years. And it was during that time, after leaving Egypt, 
that Moses decided to put together a history of their people. And so he gathered all of the oral traditions. Most of the traditions and histories were oral at that time. They were not written down because it, in that time in, in the ancient world, things were not written down in the way that was very expensive. People weren't literate. So it was mostly just passed along orally. He, gave, he gathered all these oral traditions, all of the family histories, all of the genealogies. And if there were any written accounts, he gathered those and he compiled all of this material into a book called Genesis. And so Genesis essentially explained the origins of where they came from, of the people of Israel. But not just the Hebrew people, right? Because we know it also explains the origins of the entire world because they believed that the God that delivered them from oppression, the God that their ancestors had worshipped, was actually the God who created the entire world to begin with. And so they wrote down this history of what brought them to that point. And then, of course, they wrote down the story. Moses led them to write down the story of the people's liberation from Egypt, and that became the first half of the book of Exodus. Now, the key question they were asking while they were there in the desert at that time um, was this, Yahweh, what do we do now, right? What kind of people are we going to be? All we've ever known is being an oppressed group of people within another society. What kind of new society are we going to create? When we make our way back to the land where our ancestors come from, what kind of nation will we create when we get there? And Yahweh answered them by basically saying, you will be my special people. And you're going to be unique. You're going to be different than all the other nations. You're going to be very different than, than Egypt, where you came from. And you're going to be different from all the other nations that live where you're going now. You will be unique. And the way you will be unique is this. You're going to live differently. And so then Yahweh gave them all sorts of instructions about what it would look like to live differently. Some of these instructions were how to deal with crime in their community in a unique and different way. Some of it was how to worship God. Some of it was about what kinds of foods to eat, how to be good stewards of the land, how to treat other people with dignity, how to show compassion towards the poor in their community, how to welcome immigrants and refugees into their community. Some of the instructions were about what holidays to celebrate, what feasts and festivals to observe. Some of the instructions were about architecture, Right? How to, to build this beautiful structure that would be in the middle of the community where people could come and pray and meet with God. And then some of the instructions were specifically given to the priests. The ones who would teach the rest of the people and model for the rest of the people and be the guardians of all of the instructions for the rest of the people. And all of these instructions, this Torah, was written down in the second half of the book of Exodus and the whole books of Leviticus and Numbers. Now, there are some stories thrown into these books in random places. As you're reading along, uh, you'll get to this section in Leviticus where suddenly there's a story about an initiation ceremony for the priests. And then in the book of Numbers, you get to a few different stories about failures that the people had while they were living in the desert. Um, by the way, the word uh, numbers um, is the English title of the book because the book starts with a story about Moses taking a census and counting the numbers of people in, uh, in the nation. But the Hebrew name of the book is literally just in the desert. 
in the wilderness. Like we're just still in the wilderness and this is what life was like during that time. Now, finally, when the people decide to leave the desert and they travel to what we now call the area of Palestine, back to the land where their ancestors were from, when they're about to enter the land, their leader, Moses, says, I have a few final things that I need to share with you. Because Moses is old. He knows he's about to die. He's led them this far, but he knows a new generation of leaders are going to step in and take his place. And so he gathers all of the people and he gives them one really long sermon where he basically retells their history. He says, this is where we came from. This is why God has chosen us. And here are the most important instructions that you need to follow. And it's almost like a contract. Right? Moses is, is asking the people to formally agree to be God's people and to live the way that God has told them to live. And so at the very end of this long sermon that he gives, he says, you've got a choice. It's up to you. You can choose to be the people that God has, has called you and rescued you to be. And if you do that, that's the way of life and flourishing and blessing or you can just forget everything I've told you. you. You can go off and worship different gods. You can abandon all of the instructions. You can choose to live life however you want to live. But I'm warning you, if you do that, that's the way of death. And then Moses sings a song in front of all of the people. And then he pronounces a blessing upon all of the people. And then Moses passes away. And so all of these final instructions from Moses are written down and given to us in the book of Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy literally means second set of instructions, or basically the retelling of the instructions, or the reminder of all of the instructions. So that's the first five books of the Bible. Now, scholars recognize that Moses probably did not literally write every single word of these books himself. Um, he certainly didn't write the part about him dying at the end, right? And uh, even um, you begin to see as you read through the books that there's different uh, stories or accounts or oral traditions that have been compiled and woven together. In fact, if you do this, when you start reading tomorrow, the first few chapters of Genesis contain two different creation accounts. And they're telling the same story, but from two different viewpoints. And you're going to see they're not contradictory, they're complementary, but they're definitely two different traditions and two different ways of telling the creation story. And there's lots of evidence throughout the rest of the Pentateuch that it's that way, that there are different pieces that are being put together and compiled together and organized, and it's probably done by different groups of people. And some of that, or maybe much of that, is even done after Moses' death. And there's all sorts of uh, fascinating, um, to me at least, maybe not to you, discussions among scholars. If you really want to dig into this about like which pieces came from which groups and how maybe this got compiled and when it was compiled and all those sorts of things. Um, but here's the main point. It would be too simplistic to say that Moses is the literal author of these first five books in the Bible. He's not the author in the way that we tend to think about authorship today. But generally speaking, here's what we can say. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy 
are shaped by the vision of Moses and the Exodus generation of a people asking, who are we? And who is God? And what does it mean to be God's people? And that's why these books are so relevant for us today. Right? We don't follow the same rules and the same laws and the same instructions. We, we follow Jesus, right? And we live in a very different culture and context. And so when we read some of these ancient laws, they're embedded in a very different culture and context. And some of them are going to sound really odd and strange to us. And yet we're still asking the same questions, aren't we? Who are we? And who is God? And what does it mean to be his people? And these five books are an essential part of our history, and they can help us answer those questions in our lives and in our world today. So that's an overview of the Pentateuch. So as you read it over the next several weeks, uh, you'll start with a whole bunch of stories in the book of Genesis, right? The origins and the history of the people of Israel. And then you're going to get to a whole bunch of instructions and laws and commands and rules and practices and procedures and even some architectural plans that go on for several chapters, right? And some of it might get boring. It probably will almost certainly get boring. But don't forget, the instructions are about identity. They're answering the question, who are we and who will we be? Now, <clears throat> let me spend the rest of our time today uh, by giving you just a few tips as we enter into this journey uh, together of trying to read the Bible together. Um, the first two are really practical, and then the second two I'll apply uh, to the Pentateuch just to give you a heads up for what's going to happen over the next few weeks. So um, first uh, tip for reading through the Bible is to establish a habit with time, place, and method, right? So if you can establish a regular habit of how you read each day, and keep that same habit every single day, right? Now, of course, there's going to be exceptions, and that, that's okay. But if 70, 80, 90% of the time, you can mostly follow the same habit, you'll be way more likely to get in a groove and to stay on track. And so try to figure out a time that you're going to do this each day. Like, I'm going to do it when I'm drinking my cup of coffee in the morning, or I'll do it during my lunch break, or I'll do it every afternoon at 4 p.m., or I'm going to do it every night at, at 8 p.m. Just try to find a time that you regularly do it at the same time each day. And then figure out a place, right? It's great to have an actual place. Like, I'm going to always do my Bible reading in this chair, or in this corner, or in this room of the apartment or the home that I don't go in uh, very often. That's sort of my spot where I do my Bible reading, and then figure out a method. I think uh, it's best to use an actual um, paper Bible, um, not to, to use your phone or something like that, but to use an actual paper Bible. So this is the one I'm going to use, and I'm going to take my plan, just fold it and put it in there, and each day I'll read, and then I'll pull it out, check off what I'm doing, put it back in, and then you know I'm good to go uh, for the next day. And I'll just try to keep doing it that same way over and over and over. And again, that doesn't mean there aren't exceptions, but try to establish a regular habit. Here's the second tip. Um, eliminate distractions during this time. 
So uh, put your phone away. In fact, put it in a totally different room. There's all sorts of studies that show even just putting your, having your phone in your pocket or putting it face down next to you, your mind is still wondering, did it just buzz? Like, is something going on? Did somebody text me that I need to check out? Do I need to be real right now? Whatever it is. And, and it's just so much better if you can literally put it in a totally different room and then it won't be in your mind. Um, so do that. Try not to have the TV going at the same time. Um, if you have a family, maybe tell your family, right, hey, I'm going to go do my reading right now. So um, unless you're bleeding, like, can you just uh, don't bother me because I'm going to do my reading. But what, do whatever you can to eliminate distractions. It's such a small thing. But if you're intentional about it, it'll go a long ways and make a huge difference. All right. Uh, third tip. And now these are sort of specific to reading the Bible. Um, read for the bigger picture. So when you're reading big chunks of the Bible like this, um, you're reading to get the bigger picture, which is different than Bible study. If you've ever sort of done a Bible study in the past, um, you usually go deep into one verse or one story or one passage, and you're just not going to be able to do that here. There's going to be some cultural references you're not going to totally understand. There's going to be some questions that come up that you probably won't have time to explore. I mean, if you do have time, and if you want to use a study Bible, and if you want to chase down some of those things, because you can actually do that, that's great. But the idea with trying to read through the entire Bible in a year is to see the bigger picture. It's to follow the bigger storyline. It's to get a sense of what God was up to at the 30,000 foot level back then so that we can start maybe seeing what God is up to at the 30,000 foot level right now. So it's a different way of reading than you might do with Bible study or maybe that even we do with sermons where we really usually focus on just one verse or one passage of scripture. And then here's the fourth tip. Be on the lookout for keywords, ideas, or themes that seem important, that seem significant, that, that seem to have more weight, especially those that reoccur or are repeated over and over. The people who put the Bible, the books of the Bible together or wrote the books of the Bible were often very intentional in highlighting keywords or ideas or themes that they want us to see. So for instance, in the book of Genesis, uh, the phrase, this is the account of, is repeated 11 different times. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. This is the account of Adam. This is the account of Noah. This is the account of the sons of Noah. This is the account of Shem. And on and on it goes. So basically what you start to see is we're getting a family tree. That's what this book is about. It's about a family or a lineage of families that we're being told about. And it seems like the, the lineage of families is getting broader and broader and broader. But then all of a sudden the story zeroes in on one specific family, one specific branch of the family tree, because there's something really important about this one family. And so families are important in Genesis. Fathers and sons and their relationship are really important. That's not to say that women are not. There's a lot of great stories about women and mothers in the book of Genesis. But when you know how family trees work back then and genealogies and, and lineages and inheritance, you see why fathers and sons seem to play a bigger role in this story. 
Sibling rivalries also play a huge role in the second half. There's three big sibling rivalries that take place, and they're on a human level, they're actually tragic stories. And in some ways, many of us can connect with these stories. If anybody's ever had sibling issues, right, you're going to be able to connect to these stories. But what you're going to see is that God is still up to something. It's like God is still at work. Even in the midst of a whole lot of family dysfunction, God is doing something bigger. Of course, the book of Exodus is about liberation from slavery, and you see a lot of that, but there's one idea that shows up over and over in the book of Exodus, and it's the word serve. The question is, whom will the people serve? Will the people serve Pharaoh, or are they going to serve Yahweh? And of course, we learn that Yahweh wants to be very different than Pharaoh. He's going to be a very different kind of master to serve than Pharaoh. Pharaoh just wanted to be over the people of Israel. Yahweh wants to be with the people of Israel and for the people of Israel. And then we get to a really long discussion in the second part of Exodus about the tabernacle, this structure that they're going to build. It starts in Exodus, but it goes all the way through Leviticus. And you realize it's not just about a building. It's about what the building represents. This building is going to be like God's home. It's going to be where God takes up residence and actually lives with the people. Now, Leviticus is also concerned with this idea of the people being holy and whole. And there's a number of different uh, words used there, um, being clean or pure or holy. And there's all sorts of cultural stuff going on in the book of Leviticus that is going to be confusing to us from time to time. But the bigger picture is God wants to help people live lives that look different and are pursuing healing and holiness in different kinds of ways than when they were slaves in Egypt. He wants them to live lives of freedom. And so that's what all this talk about holiness is about. And then Numbers actually continues many of the same themes in the books that came before it. Um, but you start to see failures on the parts of the uh, Israelite people, right? They say they want to be God's people, but they grumble and they complain and they don't trust in him. And there are consequences to their failures, right? But God sticks with them. God doesn't give up on them. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses comes along and he says, here's what you have to do. You have to remember. This word is repeated over and over and over. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what life was like when you were in Egypt. Remember how God has taken care of you in the wilderness. Remember the instructions that have been given to you. Remember, remember, remember. And then if there's one idea that flows all the way through the Pentateuch, all the way from, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. One idea that is so foundational that shapes the entire storyline, and it's an idea that it will be easy to lose sight of when you get deep into the laws of Leviticus, but it's this. God wants to bless his people. God wants to bless his people. He blesses humans. You're going to read tomorrow. The first thing he does when he makes humans is he blesses them. 
He blesses Adam. He blesses Noah. He blesses Abraham and Abraham's family. And in fact, he says to Abraham that the entire world is going to be blessed through the way I bless your family. He repeats this promise over and over and over that he wants to bless these families and this people so that he can bless the entire world. And then he blesses the priests and he blesses the people and he blesses the entire nation. And Moses says over and over to the people, if you will trust in God, if you will follow his instructions, he will bless you. And then it's fitting at the very end of the Pentateuch when Moses is finally done the last thing he does is pronounce a blessing on all of the people. God wants to bless his people. And so my prayer for us is that as we start this journey together, that God will bless us, that he'll bless you and he'll bless me. And it's not always going to be easy, right? We're going to be stumbling We're going to complain some days because this is tough reading and I just am tired of doing it. We're going to be just like the people of Israel, right? But God is with us and he won't give up on us and he wants to bless us through this. So let me pray for us together today. God, I do pray um, that as we start um, this journey of reading uh, your word together, I know for many of us, um, we're nervous about this, or, or there's maybe even something inside of us that doesn't want to do this, because we've tried to set resolutions, and we've tried to make promises, and we've set goals, and we've done things like this before, and if we give up, or we fail, or we stumble... Uh, We feel guilty or we feel ashamed. And so um, I just pray that more than anything else, you would help us to enter this not as an obligation, not with any sort of desire to impress you, um, not with any sort of sense that this makes us a good person if we do this and a bad person if we don't. No, I, I pray, God, that we would receive this as simply an invitation from you to get to know you better, to be able to experience your grace and your mercy, and your healing, and your presence as we read about who you are, what you've done in history, and what you might be up to today in our lives. I pray all this in your name. Amen.